You are listening to The Rooted Podcast, a conversation advancing gospel-centered youth ministry. This session was recorded at the Rooted 2016 conference in San Diego, California. Registration is now open for our 2017 conference in Dallas. Our annual conference features great preaching, engaging biblical teaching, practical workshops, and sincere worship. It is great for anyone involved in ministry to youth, including parents. To learn more, visit www.rootedministry.com. My name is Dave Wright, and I am the coordinator for youth ministries for the Diocese of South Carolina, which is an Anglican um, the Anglican Church used to be a part of the Episcopal Church, but uh, a number of years ago we um, separated ourselves from them. And um, I've been there for 15 years. I work with youth pastors and with churches that want to hire youth pastors or are trying to figure out how to do youth ministry without a youth pastor and all that kind of that kind of thing. And um, work with training people in different places in the country on how to do youth ministry and some different models and so on and so forth. Previous to that, I spent five years working in in England in a Church of England church. That's how I became Anglican when I had actually grown up Presbyterian. Um, but I spent five years working in the Church of England, and then and then ten years previous, four ten years previous to that, I was working for a large mega church, non-denominational place outside of Chicago, um, in the Chicago suburbs. And um, so I've been at it for 30 years now. On September 1st, I hit my 30-year mark, and um, God hasn't called me out of youth ministry yet, although my role is different in this sort of the second 15 years than it was in the first 15 years. Um, anyway, that's uh, that's just about me. Uh, let me pray and then uh, tell you where we're going with things. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful day, and we thank you for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for the uh, privilege that it is to proclaim the gospel and to teach your word to teenagers and um, to anybody really, Lord. And we pray that uh, you would focus our minds and help us to think about how to do that more effectively um, in this next hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, The handout that you have gives you a framework or some key areas to take notes. I'm going to kind of work my way through and see how much... uh, how much we can, how much we can cover um, in the in these sort of things. And I'm using electronics more than I usually do, so hopefully I won't get like caught up on any sort of hitches. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so uh, first of all, I want us to take a look at a passage in Scripture. So if you get a Bible, turn to One Thessalonians two, and that's where we're gonna where we're gonna start off. One Thessalonians chapter two. I love this. Um, I love this chapter uh, in terms of it's got a great, beautiful description of Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians, and um, and it tells us some key things I think about what we're up to. So I'll just read here from verse one to thirteen. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to not only share with you the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed the gospel of God. You also are witnesses, and God also, how um, holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know this, you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. I could spend um, I could spend plenty of time just from that passage talking about how we need to be communicators uh, who are proclaiming the gospel 
and teaching the truth of God's word and revolves that sort of around uh, honesty, humility, and honoring God. Um, I'm not going to spend time exploring the passage today. I'll let you study it on your own if you haven't already a ton. Um, I could spend a lot of time today talking about some of the negatives that we see in there and give you plenty of examples of um, manipulative speakers and just things gone horribly wrong that I go, oh my gosh, where, what is going on here? Or the great things, the great examples of great communication. Um, but, uh, um, but really what I want to focus on is, uh, is the idea that we're, we are people who are meant to be communicating God's word. And that, that last verse in there, 13, really um, about God's word being communicated and being received as God's word and not the words of men. And in that latter category, in that last verse, is where I've seen real transformation, is where we see people's lives changed as God's word really moves and works in people. Uh, my very first youth group meeting that I led as a, as a rookie, um, rookie youth minister straight out of college, uh, had been married for a week and, um, or maybe two, not maybe, yeah, maybe two weeks. And um, <clears throat> 21 years old, just shy of 22, and get up in front of my very first youth group. And I had uh, the role of like giving the talk for the night. And I had some leaders that did the other stuff, had already planned out the other things that were going on. I scribbled down a few notes and I got up and spoke for about 15 or 20 minutes with little or nothing to say, nothing of substance. And I looked at, I, I mean, it lacked scripture. It lacked the gospel. Uh, the look on students' faces when I got done left me uh, with a frightening realization. <laughs> I needed to figure out how to do this. I had no idea what I was doing, and I had to learn quickly how to provide substance and a style that would captivate and challenge the students that God had entrusted to my care. Ten years later, I found myself in a new challenge. I spent ten years in that first church. Um, I, fe I faced a new challenge. This time it was England. The challenge was to try to figure out how to communicate the gospel um, or bits of the gospel in 15 minutes or less to school assemblies that had about either, either 200 or 500 students at them. Um, and it wouldn't be a terribly difficult thing to do, except that 98% of my audience standing in front of me had no involvement in the church, no involvement in anything Christian, and no interest in, in fact, it was uh, a very much disliked sort of idea, the idea of going to church or anything, it was so uncool. So they came in, filed into assembly, literally in, you know, in, in order, single file lines and so forth, walk into their seats, their teacher would nod their, nod their head, and they'd all sit down at the same time, and they either figuratively or literally crossed their arms, stared up at me with this look that said, I dare you to even try to hold my attention or to grab it in the first place. And I loved that challenge. I mean, I got up in front of it and I thrived on it because I had been developing as a, as a communicator during the first 10 years of my ministry. And so I loved this idea of like, how do I grab their attention and in 15 minutes grab their attention and share something with them of God's love for them and, and let them stew over that and so forth. I spoke weekly in assemblies for five years, and I, I just loved every moment of that. Um, we saw some great fruit from those five years. Uh, not a ton of people coming to faith, because if, if you know the context of England, um, doing evangelism in that context is very difficult, and you see small amounts of fruit, but we saw fruit, and it was, it was exciting. The truth is, though, that I made a very significant shift in how I approach speaking over the course of the first 15 years of my ministry. Um, I went from learning how to do great youth talks to learning how to communicate God's word. And um, I discovered quite a significant difference in being able to give a great youth talk or getting up and um, opening up scripture and helping it make some sense of it. And you might kind of, you might relate to some of what I share in terms of what a youth talk and that all, all of that is uh, as opposed to otherwise, or you might not have ever seen one or the other, um, if that makes some sense. So one of the first things I learned was there was this guy back in the 80s who was a really popular communicator, he was full-time itinerant, just went around professional speaker. He spoke, uh, did motivational talks to corporations, he did stand-up comedy, and he did 
uh, spoke at evangelistic events for Christians. Um, uh, and his guy was a guy named Ken Davis. And he could grab an audience's attention and hold it for however long he wanted to. He could have you rolling on the floor <laughs> laughing. He could have you sitting there with tears rolling down your face. Um, and, and he just, you know, could make it a, a real challenging, uh, call to, to give your life to Christ and so forth. And he taught some things about, uh, he did some teaching and wrote a book on how to speak to youth. I think it was how to speak to youth and keep them awake at the same time. And he taught what he calls the score method. Um, C-O-R-R-E, um, in that he, he says you first want to identify your subject, then you want to narrow your subject and come up with a central theme. So you S for subject, C for central theme, um, and, then, uh, and then O for objective, what are you trying to say? Um, R is rationale, what are your main points? Another R was resources. What are your illustrations that you're going to sort of flesh out those main points? Um, and then he, the E was evaluate kind of after you put your talk together. Does it make sense? Does it flow? Is this going to work? Is it going to fit my audience and all that kind of stuff? And I found it a useful structure to, to you know, to come up with a, a youth talk. And so I was doing a lot of topical teaching at my youth group, would do a talk on, you know, I said, okay, we want to do a series on friendship. What do we want to say? Um, and, and use that as a system to kind of figure out, filter through. And when you get to the point of, uh, of resources, okay, where, where am I going to turn to in scripture? I wasn't starting with scripture. I was starting with an idea and I was, I was bringing scripture into it, which, which is really the difference, if you want to boil it right down, to the difference between a, a great youth talk and um, teaching the Bible well is is when you're coming at it w- with scripture first or you're coming at it with like a topic or your own ideas in mind first and using scripture to support it. I learned a couple of really cool things from uh, Davis though. One is the idea of fermentation. That is, he suggested that you prepare your message uh, in advance, uh, enough in advance that you can let it sort of percolate, ferment in, in, in your mind, let it kick around and come back to it and refine it before you actually deliver it. I found that really, really helpful. Um, I also learned about uh, making your sort of sub points to your main idea uh, being uh, parallel or progressive. Uh, progressive meaning linear, sort of following a, a train of thought. So like one of the talks that he gave was super, super memorable for my youth group at a conference that we were at. He uh, talked about living a life where you had nothing to hide, nothing to prove and nothing to lose. And he unpacked each of those three. And it was just so memorable. We ended up putting it on the back of a T-shirt for our youth group at one point. It was just great. Uh, also learned about building a library of illustrations, stories, facts, statistics, all that kind of stuff. And, and he suggested have a filing system and file them categorically and all sorts of stuff. I didn't get, I wasn't that organized, so I didn't quite get, but I, but I did start collecting a lot of illustrations and stories and kind of making notes of them so that I could just refer to them. And in the end, after learning this method, I got to the point where I could just, in a matter of, of a very short period of time, outline a message that I wanted to deliver, stand up and give it with just a note card in front of me and could could deliver a talk and did some that were on the fly like really fast that were uh that were really good youth talks um they weren't necessarily digging into scripture and i would never go back to doing what i did back then um i also back in back in those years early years my younger brother got into uh got into improv comedy theater stuff and started studying at Second City in Chicago and he encouraged me to take a class in improv and said, it will help your work. I'm thinking, ah, is this gonna, what's this? So I took basic improv class at Second City and it was a lot of fun and I learned one really, really valuable thing about it. It's when you're doing improv, you have to learn to live in the moment. And so you, you put yourself into what you're in and you fully experience and live what you're uh, you know, live in that, in that moment. So when you're telling a story, it becomes as real as if though it was just, you know, it's happening right now instead of, uh, instead of telling it as something that, you know, oh, way back when and so forth. And, and so I learned about living in the moment and that really, really helped me. I've seen some amazing speakers who they're in the moment when they're up in front of people and they're just, they're so supercharged and energized and they're really into it and audiences, you know, gravitate towards that and really, um, really grasp that. So um, <clears throat> thinking about competence, um, we want to move from where I first started off, which was unconsciously incompetent. I had no idea that I was not any good at speaking uh, or that I didn't know how to give a, a good youth talk to my youth group. 
uh, moved into consciously being incompetent that very first night. I left the group and it's like, I know now that this is something I can't do and I need to figure out how to do it. But we want to move then into being consciously competent and we move beyond that to being unconsciously competent so that we're, we're able to do this stuff without having to think through all the mechanics of it and, uh, and we don't wrestle with it. But competent towards what end? Is, is, is really a vital question to think about. Uh, I was, took my group to, I took a group of uh, students to Ireland one year, uh, a number of years ago. And we went to Ireland's largest Christian festival uh, for teenagers. And we heard this speaker, and I was embarrassed because he was an American, uh, because of the messages that he gave. And he, he gave, uh, he gave, uh, he spoke twice, I guess, or two or three times. And in his messages, he rarely referred to scripture. He rarely really unpacked much of the gospel. But in the end, he called for a decision. Um, and it really became this sort of, we got this message that was, you know, teenagers are hurting and you're probably hurting and Jesus wants to take your hurt away. Come to Jesus. <laughs> Come down and, and receive him. And we watched people move forward. And my group was sitting there going, what? What's going on here? There's no gospel. There's no cross. There's no, you know, we don't know. He's not talked about forgiveness. He's not talked about sin. He's not talked about our, our need for any of this. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, and that's the difference. I mean, that really boils down to as an illustration of the difference between a, a youth talk and the guy was really dynamic and uh, really communicating God's word and God speaking through his word. Messages that, trans messages that transform lives have God's word as the source of authority and they take into consideration how people learn and grow. Messages that um, transform lives have God's word as the source of authority and take into consideration how people learn and grow. So then we look at clarity. We want messages that are clear. If we're going to be competent, we have to have clarity in our messages. I'll give you three S words that you can make note of here. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, simplicity. Clarity comes from simplicity. Not trying to communicate too much. I worked for a few, uh, for, for a number of years with a guy who just wanted to pile on. When he taught, he wanted to just throw everything at people because he just was a fountain of knowledge. And people would walk, some people loved it. Some people walked away just overwhelmed by how much there was. When we're communicating with teenagers, we really need a focused message. We need to keep it simple enough so that we, we're sticking to one main idea and everything else that we say should be supporting that main idea. And when we're, when we're communicating scripture, we need to dig into it to the point where we see what is the, the single main idea in this passage and teach that and proclaim that, preach that, however you want to call it. So simplicity, uh, structure. Clarity also comes from structure. That is, if we find the right structure, it helps make a message make sense. It helps make a message uh, more memorable, and it keeps us on track. It, it allows an audience to follow along, so they're not sort of lost in where is he going now, and he's off, off, on, some, off on some rabbit trail when, when there's a real clear structure. So uh, clarity um, comes from having simplicity and structure and also stickiness. Is this message going to stick? Is it memorable? Um, have I done everything in my power to help students remember the truth that I'm communicating and not just great stories or jokes um, or whatever devices that we're using to capture attention? I had in early on learned, discovered that I could, I learned to tell stories in such a way I could tell a really funny story and, and tag it onto, give a great little connection into, and sometimes it was a weak link, but it was a, you know, clever link or something or other into, into the idea that I was trying to communicate. And sometimes kids would walk away remembering the story and not remembering what I was trying to communicate. And I go, ah, oh, I missed the point because um, they just got the story. Um, as I mentioned, uh, parallel subpoints under a main idea are really a helpful way uh, to make things stick. Alliteration is a, is a tool worth using. Repetition is something that's really important. Um, progressive subpoints that are linear and show progress towards something that nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide um, is both progressive and it's parallel. Um, repetition is also helpful. If you noticed, I said that twice already. I took a class in college on learning and memory. I was a psychology major, so I had a class in learning and memory. And my professor emphasized that um, structure and repetition are how people are the most common way that people learn. 
structure and um, repetition are really, really important. So then we look at connection. Knowing your audience and how to capture their attention is, is what I really want you to think about in terms of connection. Um, this doesn't mean having relationships with everyone in, in your audience. Sometimes you're speaking to a group of people that you don't really, you don't personally know them, but you want to know what their situation is in life. You want to know about them, know sort of what, what their world is like. A good hook or a good start is really important, especially when you've got an audience that you've got to grab their attention and they may not be interested in listening to you. Like those assemblies that I gave, I had to have something that grabbed their attention immediately. So I would jump up and I would, I would, uh, you know, they would introduce me and I would jump up and I would start off with a phrase or a statement or, or walk into a story. Um, I might drop them into, into the middle of a story instead of starting at the beginning of the story. So they're kind of going, what, 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 what's he going, what's he talking about? And, and just use that in the same way that, well, when we watch a good movie or a good television show, that often it doesn't start off at the very beginning trying to explain where it's going. It usually just drops us like right into the middle of something and then it un unravels the whole thing and brings it right back around to the beginning and the end. Using stories connects our message to our audience. I probably don't need to say a lot about that other than uh, if you want to be a good communicator, developing your storytelling skills is really, really valuable. Also, in, uh, in terms of connection, uh, we want discovery to be a part of the process. We want students, we want to help students see what God is seeing through his word. And so in, in my work in South Carolina, or what might be left of South Carolina in a couple of days, um, we, we moved from, in our events that I oversee, we, we moved from having speakers that are, do great youth talks to speakers who open scripture with kids. And to the, to the extent that uh, a speaker will get up front and say, hey, turn your Bibles to such and such a page and so forth, and they'll help kids see what God is saying in the scripture rather than me telling you some great ideas and so forth and saying, hey, oh, and yeah, this is supported by scripture by saying this. Instead, they, they help kids discover what, what God's word is teaching them. The next C I want to move on to is credibility. Um, there's a number of uh, ethical issues that I've run across with speaking and growing, and growing as a speaker. Uh, do we pass off stories that are not true as though they are real. I've seen that done too many times where people will tell a fake story. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend uh, who was sharing with me that at a conference, that a youth conference he was at, this super well-known national speaker got up in front of the students in one of, one of his talks, started off by sharing a story about how he had just encountered this boy who was sitting and crying under the stairs and how he broken up he was because he felt that people were making fun of him uh, because he was different. And everybody's just, you know, you know, he's got everybody's attention gripped. And the leaders were all going, where's this kid? We need to minister to this kid. And so afterward, they walked up to him and they said, hey, you know, where, can you point this kid out to us? The speaker said, oh, I just made that up. And, I, you know, I heard that story and I thought, oh, my gosh, I've heard some powerful stories from that same, same speaker. And now I wonder, did he just make up those powerful stories that moved me, that brought me to tears, that made me laugh? That, and it, it, we lose credibility if we're, if we're passing off stories as if they're real when they're just made up stories. It's a different thing if you tell a fictitious story and state up front that it's a fictitious story. I think it has much more credibility. Or uh, I think about back uh, years ago, you specialties used to travel around with a team of people and they would they would develop what they call the National Resource Seminar and they would uh, do a bunch of teaching for a day for youth workers all over the country. They'd hit like 90 or 100 cities. And uh, the team had created all the material together. They wrote all their talks collectively and then they went and delivered them. And what I noticed over the course of time was uh, several of them were sharing the same stories as if though they happened to themselves. And I just stopped and thought, Where's the credibility in that? 
I mean, I just felt like there was an ethical line being crossed when when I heard two different guys talk about their son doing this particular thing and how funny it was and then what a great lesson there was to be learned from it or something or other. I'm going, that same story, your buddy just told that like two months ago at another conference and it would happen to his son too. That's really strange. I think there's something going on here. Um, we need to be honest about what we share and we need to be um, not deceiving kids. We need to look at uh, um, we need to look at what Paul teaches the Thessalonians and says, hey, you know, we we didn't come with any false pretenses or um, being deceptions, de- being deceptive. Um, so I've never wanted to see to deceive my kids or the students that I've been speaking to by pretending fiction was fact, because I want them to have confidence that Jesus is real. And, and it even extends extends to my uh, raising children myself. Um, when my kids were growing up, I didn't want to tell them. Uh, fictitious stories as if though they were real because when I told them about Jesus who they whose face they would never physically see on earth that um, I didn't want them to go well is Jesus real too you know and wonder if that's just a made-up story I mean it even extended to sort of how do we deal with the whole Santa thing um, do I tell them a myth and pretend that it's real and then tell them about Jesus and say that he's real but Santa wasn't real we just lied about that I mean that, that's and I know some people have different views on that particular thing but anyway uh, another thing on credibility, I was trained by uh, Young Life when I was in college and was a Young Life leader in college. And uh, I had a lot of, had a great experience with that. But part of the mantra in the training was we had to earn the right to be heard. They always say you have to earn the right to be heard. And I bought into it and didn't realize that later on that there's nothing biblical about that idea of earning the right to be heard, that we had to build a relationship with a kid before they would listen to what we had to say. Um, and later on ran across some guys who had been Young Life staff for years who spent time earning the right to be heard and then sat down and shared the gospel with the kid. And the kid's reaction was, uh, we've known each other for a year now, and this is like so important stuff, and you're just telling me now this? And, and being angry at them for not having said that. I have a friend who's at this conference that used to be a Young Life staff person, and when um, and he actually shared with me recently, he said when he uh, first heard the gospel and, real, and, and he, he went to his friends and he said, he said to him, he says, I'm really angry with you. We've been friends for years and this is so important stuff and you've never told this to me. You know, that sort of thing. But they were all in this young life mindset that said, we have to earn the right to be heard. Paul didn't go around earning the right to be heard when he proclaimed the gospel. Jesus didn't go around earning the right to be heard when he proclaimed the gospel. I mean, it just, it just isn't in uh, scripture. Is it true? <clears throat> is it true? This is another mantra that I heard uh, in train, youth, youth ministry training. Is it true that students don't care what you know until they know it, know that you care? You know, they used to say to us, kids don't, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. I think there is some truth to that, but there's truth to that in the context of our youth groups. And kids, re- you know, our youth groups really listen to us more when they know that we actually care about them as individuals. But that's not that doesn't mean that we don't proclaim the gospel. It doesn't mean that we don't share scripture and let God's word really speak to them. Um, We can proclaim the gospel to students that we don't know and we can have confidence that God will use it. Uh, Also in credibility, there's, there's power in the idea of vulnerability and being real with people, being authentic with people, sharing our brokenness and, and so on and so forth. But, we have to be careful in terms of how we use that because we can we can ruin our own credibility by opening up and sharing things that we shouldn't share with students. It's, it's one thing to say, I'm a sinner like you are. We're all sinners. We're all in this boat together. I have my struggles. You have your struggles, that kind of thing. But one, we could overstep our bounds and share too much and say, oh, I'm struggling with this sin or I'm giving into this or whatever. And then all of a sudden kids go, this isn't real. You know, this, this gospel stuff, this isn't, if it isn't changing my youth pastor's life, if he doesn't have this together, then I'm not going to listen to him anymore. And that's not, um, that's not helpful. So vulnerability can be really powerful when we're being authentic with people, but we have to be careful about how far we go with it and use it carefully. Um, it's also in terms of, uh, I've also seen situations where people can manipulate an audience 
Uh, and there's a number of different ways that people can do that. I was a psychology major in college, and so in a couple classes we learned about some different things that people have used in, in large group settings, uh, like the power of suggestion. And a number of years ago, I was uh, at my church, and there was this guest speaker that came in, and I watched him use the power of suggestion to manipulate the, the crowd of people that had gathered in that from the very beginning, he sat and told us what was going to happen by the end of the night. And he kept repeating what was going to happen by the end of the night. He talked about how the Holy Spirit's going to move and this and this and this is going to, people are going to, you know, this, all this is going to happen. And he, and he mentioned that early on. He mentioned it in the middle and in between. He had, uh, he had some different people that shared some testimonies and so forth. And he would share some, some bits of scripture and so forth. And, and he kept coming back to this, the, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to move in a powerful way. Well, what happens when he gets to the end of the night and we sort of, and he says, hey, anybody want to come forward for prayer and the band's going to play and so forth? And when I just watched, you know, what people perceived as the Holy Spirit moving in a powerful way, but it really was just the power of suggestion. So, I, you know, if I was to emphasize to you again and again, repeated it enough that this is the best workshop you will have attended at Rooted, um, you will leave here thinking that. And if I said that subtly enough times that you might actually, in an evaluation form, say, you know, going as a speaker was the best workshop ever, you know, or something or other, it's, it's manipulative. And we don't want to manipulate people. That loses our, um, our credibility. Our content comes from studying scripture and letting scripture be our authority. Ultimately, we want God to speak into, into kids' lives, not our own sort of ideas. And so when I moved from giving youth talks where I think about sort of what I wanted to communicate and then go look for scripture to support it, moved from that to looking at a passage of scripture and saying, what is this? What's, in, what's the meaning in this message? What's, what's the meaning in this passage? And starting to really explore it and dig into it myself and then be able to teach it it became a whole different. It became a whole different thing. Um, uh, I, I listened to a well-known author uh, who spoke at a youth specialties convention in the, in the '80s. She was nationally known author and the wife of a of a pastor of a really large evangelical church. She gave a message on David and Goliath, and read the passage and talked. You know, sort of painted this picture so we could sort of see, you know, really quite dramatically see the whole scene of David and Goliath and, and what happened there. And then she talked about uh, the five smooth stones of ministry. And she talked about what each of those five smooth stones of ministry was. And I just sat there and went, oh my gosh, this has nothing to do with the meaning of the passage. There's no five smooth stones of ministry. <laughs> um, you know, David picked up five smooth stones and he, and he went after Goliath and God did an amazing thing. And if we want to look at the, the, the meaning or the message in that passage is, is God's ability to do something. It's not five smooth stones of ministry. Um, I was just stunned at how you could miss the point of a story and make it into something that it was not. And I could... You know, all of us, I'm sure, could come up with lots of examples of where we've seen people do that. I was uh, at one time guilty of using scripture uh, like a drunk uses a street light, more for more for support than for illumination. Um, and that that comes from <clears throat> it comes from a quote from a from a Scottish person or something or other I heard not too long ago. Um, that uh, I guess it was a Scottish politician or a Scottish person years ago said that refer was referring to a uh, politician using statistics like a drunk uses a streetlight uh, more for support for than more for support than for illumination. And when we communicate, uh, when we communicate to students, when we communicate to anybody, really, if we're using scripture like a drunk uses a streetlight, um, we're it's it's kind of inebriated teaching. Um, if we're, you know, if we're if we're using it, uh oh, all of a sudden my computer wanted to log on. Um, so we want to use scripture, not just to sort of support our ideas. Is basically what what that's sorry, my, what that's about. Anyway, um, we have to let God's word do God's work. The message of our talk or our sermon. Uh, must be the message of the passage. We are merely ambassadors who are relaying God's message to his people. So we've got to let God's word do God's work. If God's not spoken to me through studying a passage, I don't have anything to teach. 
if he hasn't communicated something to you know if if if, if he hasn't shown me what he, what's in this, um, then I, I don't. I mean, I just I, I I'm going to end up making up something and it's not not particularly helpful. I loved the the logos guy put the quote up from John Owen. I thought that was brilliant last night. Um, if the word does not dwell with power in us, it will not pass with power from us. It's the same same idea. So we study scripture until. Um, until God's spoken to us, and then we can turn around and share that with the people that we've been entrusted to lead. Um, it really, I've moved to the point where uh, I want to emphasize to youth ministry folks that we should be doing expositional teaching and preaching. Some people refer to their talks as sermons. Um, some people refer to them as just teaching. But what, however you want to look at it, it's exposition of scripture. We're looking to expound scripture. We're looking to sort of unpack it, make sense, shine light on it, help kids see what's going on here. And I, I'm not going to do a whole teaching on how to do that because I, I would hope that you have that or have access to that. Um, I've been, the last couple of years, been going to the Simeon Trust does uh, workshops on biblical exposition around the country. And they're really fantastic. They're meant for preachers, and so it's pastors. But uh, I've been getting some of our youth ministers in our um, in our context to attend this because it's so relevant to teaching of any age. Um, how do we expound scripture? So it's really how do we dig into it, study it, understand the meaning of it, and figure out how does that apply and then be able to go and, and turn around and, and teach that. Exposition, though, is not a running commentary. It's not, and some people, you know, do expository teaching. They think I'm um, just basically, it's almost like you're listening to somebody reading a Bible commentary. And that's not really what it is. It's really digging into understanding what the meaning of the passage is and being able to convey that meaning. Um, and sometimes great expositors don't look like they're, they're not necessarily walking you verse by verse through the text. A lot of people, a lot of times, uh, and for a long time, I myself had a view of exposition as we're working our way verse by verse through the text. And that isn't necessarily all that expositional um, teaching is because it's really about getting to the meaning of the text and showing people and letting people see this is what God's word says. This is what God's communicating to his people back in this particular time and context. And here's how that fleshes out and we do something with it today. So it's getting at the meaning of the passage and figuring out how to communicate that to our audience. And that's really what has to drive our content. It moves our messages from being centered on us and how cool or relevant or hip we are to how awesome God is. It, it's all about giving God the glory and not ourselves. That speaker in Ireland, uh, one of the things that floored me about about floored us about him, is he spent the first several, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of his talk just kind of hyping up himself. <coughs> and uh, in a subtle way that wasn't so super, super obvious, but... Um, the second time he came out and talked, he got the crowd going, Reggie, Reggie. <laughs> We're just going, what is this? And all of a sudden he pulls out his saxophone and goes, hey, I want to share this with you. Starts playing the saxophone and people are cheering. And I'm going, this is all about this guy. And then he doesn't even have the gospel for us. I mean, it was just, you know, it's just sad stuff. We want to bring glory to God in our speaking. And our content has to reflect that. And our content has to drive that. So it's got to be God that's that's speaking to to teenagers. This last, uh, this last bit is perhaps um, maybe the whole, most helpful thing in terms of growing as a speaker. Um, I had a friendship with a guy on staff at Willow Creek um, when I was working in the Chicago suburbs. And um, Willow Creek, if you're not familiar, is huge, huge. At that time, it was the largest church in America until Joel Olstein decided to do his thing. But um, <clears throat> this guy was a really good communicator and had a lot of potential. And so the, the, his, his boss started really investing in him as a speaker and really working to develop his abilities. And he was sharing with me some of the things that they would do. He would uh, speak and they would, they would record the, the, they'd have a camera in the back videotaping this thing and they would record it. And so a couple days after his message, he'd sit down with his boss in the office and they would pop it up on screen and they, and he would just sit there with a remote control and hit pause every few seconds. And, and he would evaluate everything he was doing and, you know, give him feedback on the whole thing. And I'm sitting and going, wow, that sounds really, really painful <laughs> because he was saying, you know, I got 30 seconds into my message and all of a sudden he pauses the thing and says, why are your hands like that? 
you know, because his arms were like, you know, some weird <laughs> odd position. And, and he said it so it was so helpful. It was hard, but it was so helpful to have that sort of feedback. And you got visual, that visual feedback right there in front of you. And and so he showed him, you know, here's here's where you've done well. Here's what you need to change to be a better communicator. Use your hands better. You know, also, there's all sorts of different sides to that. And then and content wise, you know, there were times he'd pause it and say, why did you just say that? What was driving that? Well, how does that connect to the message that you're trying to communicate to the students? And I mean, so challenged and so refined him. I had the, the joy um, in my first job of having interns every summer. It was just sort of built into the church's culture, which was great. And so I had a couple college students that would work for me. I get to hire them each summer. And so we divided up the speaking and teaching that we did during the course of the week because we had multiple things going on during the week. And we would uh, meet weekly and give feedback to each other. And for some of them, it was really difficult at first and say, hey, look, we just need to set our egos aside and be real with each other and be as encouraging and loving and gentle as possible. But let's talk about the specifics of our messages, uh, both in content and in delivery, so that we can really refine ourselves. And it was, I was the one who benefited the most from it because I was the one who was getting feedback every summer for nearly 10 years. Um, and they would, you know, they were just there usually for one, maybe two summers with me. Um, and then they'd go on to something else. But um, a number of them ended up in ministry and are preachers now, which is pretty cool. But each week we would provide feedback on the talks uh, or the teaching, whether it was Sunday school or it was a youth group or something or other. And we focused on things like uh, body language. Uh, we talked about eye contact. Um, and we, we were making, there was, the, the interns were always making notes, and we were, all, me and the interns, we were always making notes on each other's talks. So whenever uh, somebody was speaking, the others were all taking notes and, and just, met, you know, just writing down some stuff so that we'd come to the meeting prepared to give that feedback. Gestures, use of limbs. Um, our bodies communicate a lot. Uh, our bodies communicate often more than our words do. And so, you know, people have little ticks and quirks and so forth. I used to go to my wife's, um, parents church with her when we or with when we'd be visiting them and they had this one pastor who would just sort of do this the whole time when he preached he'd just sit there and shift back and forth and it was so obnoxious and i'd sit there and go, dude you got to stop doing that uh i had when i first started off teaching sunday school i had a student who counted the number of ums that i used and uh when i found that out i was going oh i'm super self-conscious now about all the ums and ahs and so forth but we learn to overcome those when we are faced with them so when we get that sort of feedback we learn to deal with our fillers as it were and um so like you know there's just so many different ones that people use We'd also talked about illustrations and our stories and did they connect to the audience? Were they really pointing to the, to the message? Were they engaging? That kind of thing. Did we paint pictures with words? Could we have told a story better or differently? I had uh, my pastor, uh, after I gave a, a evangelistic talk one night at our church for a youth thing that we were doing, I had read this really powerful story and I got done with it and it was everything went well and the message went well and so forth. Got done with it. He said, that was brilliant. He said, but you know what? If you had told that story instead of reading that story, he said, it would have been so much better. I thought I would have had to have memorized the thing, but it would have been, it would have been worth doing that. Um, did we seem well prepared? We talk about uh, in our in our feedback to each other. Did we did you know? Did we come across as well prepared? And there was oftentimes confession at that point by one of us that say, "Well, I got really busy the night before. Or there was something going on or whatever, and I didn't didn't prepare as well as I could have. How could we have done that differently?" And that kind of thing. How was the start? How was the finish? So did we you know, work to grab the people's attention right away? Did we wrap it all up in a way that, that, that brought, the, you know, the, brought the end back to the beginning, that kind of thing, and, and so that it all, all fit together? Was there clarity of the main ideas? Were we really clear with, uh, with the way we presented them? Was it well organized? Was there a, a structure that our students could follow along with the teaching and understand? Was it memorable? Were they likely to walk away remembering what we had taught them? And so, uh, interestingly enough, despite the fact that youth ministry training had always said to me, your students won't remember most of the things that you teach them. They'll remember your life and, and your relationship with them and your impact on their life. 
I had after nine and a half years left the first church that I was at and was on my way off to England and I had student after student after student come up and thank me for my teaching. And I'm going, wait a minute, this isn't how that's supposed to be. They're supposed to thank me for like what a wonderful guy I was and how, you know, how funny I was or something or other. But um, it wasn't that. It was your teaching really challenged me. It, you know, you opened up scripture and did this and this and this. And, and uh, I was doing expository teaching on Sunday mornings and doing topical youth group stuff. And there was a blend, a mixture of that kind of thing. But uh, it was it, it stuck for a lot of kids, which surprised me. I didn't I didn't expect to hear that. So I went into my second youth ministry job going, I'm going to work on being, you know, I'm going to keep in mind that students do remember what we teach. And it does impact our lives, even if they can't remember the main points. I mean, we sit and let's sit under God's word every Sunday morning in church. And there's lots of times I don't, you know, I don't walk out of going, oh, yeah, that sermon, I, you know, got every single point or anything. Or sometimes it's a blur, but later on it'll come back to me. And I'm like, yeah, that was the idea that was, you know, I'll be reading something. It's like the sermon Sunday was, you know, connected to that. So we, we do, it does, we do absorb a lot more than we realize. And then application, we talk about and give feedback on, you know, did we give some good application? Was it relevant application to, to the students that we're speaking to? And uh, was there something that people could actually do with that? And if I, if I look back, I think I'd almost want to emphasize that more than I did <coughs> back then in terms of uh, there's something powerful about when we open up scripture with, with people particularly when we're opening up in smaller settings, but open up scripture with people and talk about it. what do we do with this? And then to come back and ask them later on, what did you do in the past week, what you learned a week ago? Is there's um, that application and having some follow-up is really, really important. So uh, feedback is is super, super important. Getting critique is something that we should, we should welcome. I had a sabbatical a number of years ago, which was a, a really cool experience once in 30 years. Uh, but it was, it was great. And I went over to England, went back to England. This was when I was living, since I've been living in South Carolina, that I had the sabbatical. And went back to England, and I wanted to go to uh, this this convention that takes place every summer in the Lake District. It's called the Keswick Convention. It's a week of, they do three weeks back to back, but it's a week long of Bible teaching. They bring people in from all over the world. And I contacted the uh, a guy that I knew that was one of the organizers of it because I was too late to get booked into any accommodation. It was free to go to the convention, but you had to you had to find a place to stay. And so all the bed and breakfasts, all the hostels, everything was full by the time I had gotten my sabbatical approved and so forth. And I'm going, I, my wife and I are talking, how do we go to this thing? So I contacted the guy who was organizing the youth stuff and said, do you know of any place I might be able to stay with my family? He says, well, why don't you come and join the youth team? And then you can stay with us. Like, oh, you'll put up my whole family? Say, oh, absolutely. So I did, and my wife and I helped out with the teenagers that week. And it was, it's a cool experience because it was we were working with the 14 to 16 year olds, and we're in this big tent. There's like 400 of them, and every morning there's every morning and every evening there's exposition of scripture, and it was just beautiful. And then small group stuff, and we were leading small groups and that kind of thing. But I also uh, got into got the opportunity to give one of the talks. And so one of the one of the morning teachings, I went and got up and and delivered and studied the passage really carefully and wanted to get it right because these guys I knew that these guys were really picky about you got to get the message right you got to understand the meaning of the passage to communicate that if you miss it you've blown it and you're like out of graces with us you know I mean? it was just it was that sort of I felt like that sort of pressure I got up <laughs> delivered the message oh and it had to be I had to be you know X number of minutes long it was like 15 minutes or something or other. And I get done speaking, and I go to sit down, and the head of the youth guy, the head youth guy, um, pulls me aside, and uh, and says, "Come on over and sit down." And so I'm like, going, "Oh, am I in trouble?" And I go sit down, and he says, "We give feedback immediately to all of our speakers." Oh, wow. And he had a piece of paper in front of him and some notes written down, and I was like, "Going, oh, how did I do?" And he said, "Well, he said, um, he said we want to make sure people." grasp the meaning of the passage. He said, you nailed it. We want to make sure that it's communicated in a memorable way. He said, you nailed it. And he said, and you have to be on time. And he said, you were given 15 minutes. You used 14 minutes, 55 seconds. And, you know, he said, perfect. <laughs> and I was like, big, big relief. I got that right. Wow, that was incredible. But the fact that they were giving feedback to speakers immediately after, like, was, was a mind-blowing 
thing and a great a great thing. Um, so getting critique as as scary as it is, as painful as it is, it's really helpful to find people that will give you feedback on your teaching on a regular basis that will sit down with you afterward, probably not in the you know, 30 seconds after you're done because that's the point at which you usually feel, at least I feel most horrible about what I've just done. I feel like, oh, that was really bad. I could have done that so much better. And not right then, but a little bit later, have people sit down with you a couple days later and go through and they've taken some notes and they've given you some feedback. And if you invite them in, they're not going to come and crush you unless you pick really horrible people. But they're not likely to come. They're going to help you and encourage you and build you up and give you the sort of pointers and point out things that you don't notice about yourself. And so then you find that you're writing on your notes. Uh, don't use the word um, pause here. You, you know, you're making notes to yourself to make corrections as you go and refine, um, refine your teaching. So you know, you'll obviously have some sort of parameters to that feedback and, and that kind of thing as to what you'll give them. But, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is, um, is find out what your students are hearing from your teaching. Find out what your students, in terms of critique and feedback, uh, pull a few students aside periodically and say, what, you know, what, did, what did you hear from that message? Because what we say and what students hear isn't always the same thing. A lot of times what people say and what people hear, just they can be really, really night and day different. And I, it crushes me sometimes when I will say something and, and my wife will say, you know, the kids heard you say that what, what it sounded like to them was this. And I go, oh, they didn't, I didn't communicate that right. So it's really, really helpful to find out what your students are hearing um, from your uh, speaking. I have a couple of, um, a couple of suggested reading um, a couple of books that I think are really good. I think there's some good preaching. There's some really good books on preaching that I think are really helpful for anybody who's communicating scripture. But there's a few that I've run across recently that I've read. <clears throat> that um, well, two of these three that I wrote down, I've I've read. One of them I've I've read a bit of, but not not all of. Um, Saving Eutychus is. Uh, is fantastic if you know the biblical story in Acts of Eutychus who falls out of the window um, when Paul's preaching and uh, and dies and they bring him back to life. Um, the whole idea is, is uh, you know being able to communicate God's word and keep people alive and awake <laughs> and so forth. And uh, and it's a it's a fairly short book uh, written by an Australian and an Irishman. Interestingly enough, expositional preaching, a short little book by David Helm, just great sort of walkthrough and everything that it in there really applies to how do we. It, do expositional teaching with, with any age group is, is the case. And then in terms of a, a book on speaking to youth, specifically by a veteran like long-term youth minister who has no hair left um, whatsoever, um, is uh, Messages That Move by a guy named Tim Hawkins. Uh, he's an Australian. Um, I think he's living in South Africa at the moment, actually. But he's, um, he's a really dynamic communicator, and so he really goes through how do we communicate really in a dynamic way? And he's really committed to, to teaching the truth of scripture at the same time. Um, and, it's, and it's great. He leans a little bit more youth talk-ish in a way, but doesn't want to get scripture wrong, really wants to make that the big, big sort of emphasis. So I, I put those down as suggested readings. You might have other books that you've read that are great on communicating because there's so many that are out there. The other thing I put on the bottom of the page there is a blog that I write at, but I just, because every once in a while I'll do something on speaking in there. To learn more about Gospel-Centered Youth Ministry, please visit our website at www.rootedministry.com. Music has been provided by High Street Hymns. You can access their music at www.highstreethymns.com. Alleluia, alleluia.